With that, let me mention a couple of quick announcements. We had several podcasts this week. Uh, Randy and I, Randy's here this morning, we uh, did a podcast Friday, kind of updating you on current events and, uh, you know, look, covered a lot of ground in that one hour together. So if you haven't listened to that yet, let me encourage you to check that out. Go to notbyworks.org and check out the podcast. And then, of course, uh, a lot of the podcasts that we're doing are interviews related to the Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2. Both of those books are out on the table. If you've not picked one up yet, feel free to uh, take one. And if you're watching uh, online, uh, you can go to notbyworks.org and pick that up or uh, spiritoftheantichrist.org as well. Uh, don't forget this Wednesday, we'll continue our study of the greatness of God. Really looking forward to uh, what we're going to be covering. I kind of took a sneak peek a little bit this week at it, kind of sketching out the next few slides for that presentation. And then I was thinking about it on the drive-in, just what an amazing God we serve. And so uh, we'll do that this Wednesday at 6 o'clock. It will be live-streamed, but hopefully you'll come out uh, here uh, in the building. And uh, so this morning we're going to continue our look at the doctrine of eternal rewards. And I haven't mentioned this in a while, but all of this that we're talking about over the last year and a half or so comes from uh, my book, What Lies Ahead, A Biblical Overview of the End Times. Those also are out on the resource table, and uh, I encourage you to pick that up. We, we're getting close to uh, the end of what we covered in the book. My plan is to uh, end this uh, time with some Q&A and just some review, because it's been so long. We want to go back and kind of give the highlights again of all the stuff that we've covered. Remembering, of course, that roughly 16% of God's Word is unfulfilled prophecy, so it's a substantial portion. And especially in days like this, we want to make sure we are up to speed on what, what lies ahead. And that's why we called the book that. So uh, anyway, pick one of those up if you don't have one already. So uh, we're going to hopefully, although I'm not uh, on any time schedule, but I, my guess is we'll probably finish this morning our study of the judgment seat of Christ. And we're picking up today with when will the judgment seat of Christ take place. So we've, we've covered what is the judgment seat of Christ, uh, the context of the passages in which it's used in previous weeks. We've talked about what are some rewardable behaviors that the Bible talks about. We've talked about what are some types of rewards you can earn at the Bema judgment. And, uh, and now we want to just sort of close it out by talking about some of the uh, key issues related to it, key questions that people have about it, some objections uh, even. Uh, the first question then is, when will the judgment seat of Christ take place? Uh, when will the judgment seat of Christ take place? Now, the precise moment and some of the details, as we talked about last week, are unclear. The Bible is silent on that. But we can narrow it down based on a comparison of Scripture with Scripture to sometime between the rapture and the second coming. So if you look at our uh, end times chart that we've come back to again and again, you'll see the rapture on the far left there. Well, on the very far left, you see a cross uh, symbolizing uh, the death and resurrection of Christ and the beginning of the church age on the day of Pentecost. You see the word church there. Obviously, this is not drawn to scale. We're focusing in, zooming in here on end times events. Um, so the church has so far been 2,000 years long. Uh, but it's going to come to an end, this age, this present age, at the rapture. Uh, this week, uh, uh, we did a podcast uh, in, uh, you know, in, uh, on the occasion of Thanksgiving on uh, Bible, end times Bible prophecies 
we should be thankful for. And that was posted on Wednesday. But the very first one that I addressed in there was the rapture. And so I kind of gave some highlights and some of the biblical uh, proof texts for the rapture. But then um, after the rapture, we very quickly, I think, will move into the seven-year tribulation, probably within a matter of months. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, Christ comes back uh, to inaugurate the long-awaited kingdom. And because so many of the rewards that we've looked at pertain to life in the kingdom, things like reigning with Christ, serving in positions of authority, those types of things, we know the beam of judgment and the doling out of rewards must have happened prior to the second coming. So you see the second coming on there where it talks about at the top there Armageddon and the second coming. Um, the, the rewards have to have been given out before that because the church comes back with Christ at his return to, to inaugurate the kingdom. It also must happen after the rapture uh, because you know scripture speaks of this as something that we will look forward to in the eschaton, in the, in the end times, in the last times. So, so if you kind of look at that as the beginning point and the ending point, sometime in there is when uh, the judgment seat of Christ will take place. Now, we talked last week about how we don't know exactly the details of this. Remember, it's taking place in the realm of eternity, not within the realm of time, space, and matter. So it's hard for us to really wrap our heads around what that will look like because we think in terms of linear uh, time. And so we think, oh, you got, let's say, a billion Christians, just to pick a number, uh, and oh, they've all got to line up before Christ who's sitting on the throne, and he's going to say, you know, well done, and he's going to reward us for the things that we've done uh, from a pure heart and a clear conscience, which is 1 Corinthians 4. Um, Remember, it's not a time of judgment, even though it's called the judgment seat. That's just because Paul used that phrase that was common in the first century culture where they would set up a raised platform from which a, a Roman leader would rule on certain disputes and problems, and they called that the judgment seat. But it's not a judgment in the sense of uh, heaven or hell. In fact, uh, just to really drive that point home, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter... Uh, 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 5, John chapter 5, verse 24. John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, present tense, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. So, shall not come into judgment is pretty clear. So does that mean the Bible contradicts itself when Paul later says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Not at all. It depends on the meaning of judgment. Um, you can judge something as to whether or not it is righteous enough to enter heaven. That's what Jesus is talking about here. When you by faith have trusted in him, you're declared righteous permanently and there's no longer any judgment necessary. You're a child of God. You've been born again. But you can also evaluate, judge something in the sense of evaluating it. And that's what is going to take place at the Abima judgment. So uh, that we will you know, not be punished or not have any negative uh, punitive damages of any sort at the judgment seat. It will just be reward or the absence of reward. Um, so again, as we think in terms of our 
way of thinking in, in this realm of time, space, and matter. We might picture billion people or more that are believers after the rapture lined up, you know, waiting in line like you're trying to get into a football game or something. But I don't think that's the way it's going to happen. Um, I think it's going to be personal, and I think it's going to be outside the realm of time. But all of us will have that moment, perhaps instantaneously, I don't know, with everybody together separately, um, when we are rewarded for the, what we've done in this, in this life. Now remember, uh, according to Scripture, there will be some who are believers, and they get into heaven, but they receive no reward. Paul said, uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians uh, 3, that uh, there will be some who, for whom everything is burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. Or Jesus said in Luke 19, which is an allusion to the church and the coming, the present age, uh, which from Jesus' perspective at the time wasn't, still was still future, but from our perspective it's the present age. But Jesus said there will be one servant who does, does nothing with his mina, with his life of service, and so, but yet he still gets in. So uh, there will be a group of people that, who, who trusted Christ for salvation but never really uh, walked by faith and not sight, never grew spiritually, never uh, did things in their new life in Christ for the Lord. And, and they'll still be in heaven, but they just won't be rewarded. Uh, so sometime after the rapture, but before we come back with Christ uh, to help rule and reign in the coming kingdom, we will receive these rewards. Any questions about the timing or comments or thoughts? All right. We're ready now. You're ready now? I am. I'm ready now. I would, I would happily vote for that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, God's uh, kingdom is not a democracy. It's a theocracy, and he gets to pick when he comes back. Uh, which is, yes. What do you say to those who, who think about that and, and say, well, I'm just going to be happy to be in heaven. We're always going to be just euphoric, yeah. and rewards aren't going to matter. Yeah, Kelton is always like three steps ahead because he's raised a question that is a common objection, and we're going to get to that here in just a second. Um, so his question was, what about people who say, oh, well, we're all going to be in heaven. You know, it doesn't really matter, and heaven is equal for everybody. Well, it's not equal for everybody, nor is hell equal for everybody, right? You understand that, uh, according to Luke 12, uh, those that are every, only those who never trusted Christ will be in hell. That's the the sin. In fact, if you're still in John, uh, if you want to flip over a couple of chapters, uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 24, he says. Um, Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So as I explained in my book, Top Ten Reasons Some People Go to Hell, the one ultimate reason that anybody goes to hell is unbelief. If you die in unbelief, having never believed in Jesus Christ, you're going to spend eternity in hell. Because the only way to receive positional forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that heaven demands is by faith. It's called justification. Paul says we are justified by faith. So if you don't believe, you're going to die in your sin. So everyone in hell is there for one and only reason. They refused to receive the free gift by faith. But for those who lived particularly heinous lives and were particularly evil, 
they, they will have more punishment. Remember, believers never face punishment. Believers may be disciplined by God, but punishment is exclusively uh, for unbelievers. And uh, they may face more of the wrath of God, uh, depending on how evil they were. Similarly, for believers in heaven, there will be degrees of reward. There will be positions of authority. Not everybody is going to be able to sit on thrones and help reign with Christ. So it just kind of depends on how faithful you were, and that's the whole point of the judgment seat. But we're going to get to a few more uh, objections in this next section. So point number six on our outline is how should the reality of the judgment seat of Christ affect the believer's actions during their life on earth? In other words, it's the so what question. Uh, and, you know, we don't say this nearly enough, those of us who study and teach Bible prophecy, but the ultimate reason for studying Bible prophecy isn't just to figure it all out and to know what's coming. It's to fall more in love with our Savior. Jesus is the hero of all Bible prophecy. And the more we know about His plan of the ages, the more we fall in love with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the more we uh, just are strengthened in our faith by seeing that God is a covenant-keeping God. So, <clears throat> It's not just about knowledge. It's about, you know, to what end? To, to glorify God, ultimately. Uh, so, number one, the prof prospect of eternal rewards motivates believers to do the very things that will be rewarded. In fact, uh, in some of these verses we've looked at in different contexts when we were both talking about the types of rewards and the type of rewardable behavior but they bear repeating here as we think about the motivational aspect. One of the last things we see recorded in Scripture is Revelation 22:12, where Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, as we've said many times, you know, we're not saved by works. So when he's talking about giving us something based on or according to our works, this can't be speaking of eternal life or entrance into heaven because that's a free gift paid for by the blood of Christ, received by faith. But, but rewards are earned by our actions, by our behavior with the right motivation. So I just think it's quite telling that one of the last things God's Word leaves us with is not only the reminder that Christ is coming, and by the way, when it says, Behold, I am coming Quickly, that word quickly means suddenly, not like soon. I mean, this was said 2,000 years ago. Uh, it could be soon. It could be today. But when it happens, as Paul enumerates, it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. So it'll be suddenly. Uh, and he says, in the context of his coming, my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So as we uh, think about the rapture, you know, Mike just said a moment ago, boy, I'm, I'm ready for the rapture, right? Uh, someone else uh, texted me this week, I'm ready for the rapture. Uh, people talk about that all the time, especially as we see the world unraveling around us. But how often do we think of the rapture in connection with rewards? Jesus ties the two together. He ties his coming with, hey, I'm coming, and when I do, I'm going to reward you. Not with heaven. Heaven's not a reward. Heaven is a free gift. But I'm going to reward you based on your work. So we need to keep that in mind. So it is a motivating factor uh, to be sure. Before we look at the next couple of verses, I want to mention in my book, Getting the Gospel Wrong, first book I ever wrote uh, 20 years ago now, uh, I have an appendix at the back 
that describes different reasons or motivations for the believer, the Christian, to do good works. And there are many. Straight out of Scripture, I give the reference with each one. Why should we live for the Lord? Because a lot of people who don't understand grace and don't understand the free gift of salvation and the doctrine of salvation, they say, well, you know, you can't just get something as valuable as eternal life for nothing. you got to bring something to the table. you got to put something in the game. You can't just get a free gift, you know. Otherwise, you'd just get saved and you'd go on sinning, right? Well, Paul actually answers that objection in Romans 5 and 6 uh, when he says, yeah, well, you could go on sinning and grace is going to be bigger than that. You can't out God. If you've been born again by faith, no sin that you can commit can undo what God did. Your spiritual DNA was changed. But Paul says, why would you do that? Why would you want to do that? No healthy believer is going to continue to sin. Uh, so there are many motivations, as I mentioned in the appendix to this book, and by the way, there's some of those out on the table too, for us to do good works. But I also list in that appendix some unbiblical false motivations. And one of those is, you know, we must do good works in order to get to heaven, or we must do good works to prove that we're really saved. Remember we talked about that in our study of Calvinism a few weeks ago. Calvinists teach you've got to persevere in good works until the end of your life or you weren't really saved. If at any point you abandon the Lord or turn your back on the Lord, you're just not saved. They don't say you lose it, but they say you never were saved to begin with. Well, the Bible, that's a terrible motivation to do good works. Fear, guilt, worry, doubt. You know, am I really going to get in? Oh, I better behave today because if I don't, maybe I'm not really saved. And you just live this life just wrapped up in this, you know, never-ending circle of doubt. But we can rest in the promise of Christ who said, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish, period, full stop. And then we can understand the biblical motivations, why we should do good works, and the fact that some believers sadly and tragically thumb their nose at God and turn their backs on God. You know, church history is full, uh, sadly, of believers who are shipwrecked for the faith and, and just turn their back on God. But thankfully, our eternal destiny is not based upon our ability to hang on to God or keep persevering or walk with the Lord. It's based on what Jesus accomplished on our behalf at the cross, and we receive that simply by faith. So it's certainly appropriate. One of the motivations in that appendix is the concept of rewards. Why else would Jesus say, you know, behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. He repeats that again a few verses later in the last two verses of the Bible when he says, Surely I am coming quickly. And then John writes, Amen, even so come Lord Jesus. So we all, when we say Maranatha, which we should, and we do more and more in these you know, crazy days where the stage is being set for the tribulation, uh, we ought to remember in saying Maranatha that we're going to see Jesus uh, someday and we want to be prepared for it. And that leads me to the next uh, verse. It's in Second John in verse 8 where uh, John says, Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Now again, whenever you see him talking about working for something or doing something, behavior in order to get something that cannot be talking about our eternal salvation because that's a free gift remember the two buckets i've talked often about you know whenever you see a passage of scripture talking about some type of 
salvation, you need to ask yourself, is this talking about eternal salvation, which is a free gift, or rewards, which are earned? And this is clearly talking about rewards. In fact, he even uses that word. He says you want to watch out, look to yourselves, that you don't lose what you've worked for, but receive a full reward. So that's a motivating factor that we should, we should persevere, not so that we can be sure we get into heaven, but so that when we see Jesus face to face, we'll hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. And then the passage we looked at last week, Colossians chapter 3, if you want to flip over there, Colossians chapter 3, and we looked at this in the worship hour too, in Colossians, great book, one of Paul's prison epistles, and he makes this statement in verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So what are we talking about here? Obviously rewards, because we don't get heaven based on what we do, thankfully, other than trusting in Christ, which isn't a work. It's simply the mechanism for receiving the free gift. Uh, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So there it is. Um, that's a motivation to, to, to not only work hard, but do it as unto the Lord. Work heartily as unto uh, the Lord. So clearly the prospect of rewards motivates us to do the things that the rewards are calling for. Um, and then secondly, the prospect of eternal rewards encourages believers to have a heavenly perspective. I mean... Uh, Last week, in our my Thanksgiving message, I talked about set your mind on things above. I was thinking uh, about how wonderful it would have been to sing Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus last week. It would have fit perfectly. Uh, but we'll sing it this week, and hopefully it will continue to remind us of Paul's admonition to, you know, to, to set your mind on things above. You see the verse reference on the screen there, Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, you know, if you're thinking only about temporal rewards... Your next paycheck, your bonus, um, you know, buying a bigger house, uh, your next vacation. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life, but you've got to have the right perspective. And that perspective is heavenly. Remember, and I think most of you were probably here last week, but Paul says, if then you were raised with Christ, and in Greek there it's since. In other words, if then you were raised with Christ, and you were, you, you believers, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is our life appears, you also will appear with him uh, in glory. So uh, when we think about eternal rewards, it's going to cause us to think about eternity and not become just consumed by the cares of this world. Uh, even way before... Uh, the doctrine of the church was uh, revealed by God through the scriptures and uh, hinted at by Christ through toward the end of his earthly ministry. We see Jesus telling the Old Testament Jews that they need to have that same uh, perspective. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, 
everything, and we talked about this last week in the message, everything we can see and touch, all of this is going to burn up. Now, we're supposed to be good stewards of it while we're here. God has us here for a reason. We don't want to be careless. Uh, we don't want to go to that extreme. But at the same time, you know, when your car gets a scratch on it or your carpet gets a stain on it, you know, don't go ballistic. And don't think, oh, I can't believe this, and let it ruin your day. Because at some point, that whole bedroom's going to be destroyed. In fact, the whole house is going to be destroyed. Um, and that's, I think, what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a lot more in the broader context of the Sermon on the Mount. But he's saying, don't you know, be so earthly-minded that you forget what the ultimate goal is. Have you ever stopped to think about how our life on a, on a, you know, in, in eternity is just a speck on a timeline? I mean, you think about it. On the timeline of eternity, I mean, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, right? You know, is that really going to matter? But boy, it sure seems to matter to us, doesn't it? Because life is, is pressure. You know, life is tough, and that's the trials of life. And that's why we are you know, exhorted again and again in God's Word to walk by faith and trust the Lord. And I'm the worst at that. You know, my dad tells me that all the time. He's probably watching this live stream. But he says, you know, for someone who preaches on faith so much, you sure seem to have pretty weak faith. And I do. I mean, I, I, things happen, and I get worried, and I get stressed, and I get, you know, frustrated. But, uh, you know, that's not what we should do at all. Um, yeah? J.B., some people, even believers, um, believe that the rapture's already happened. What's that based on? Yeah, um, Nancy was, was telling me that. I, I find that hard to believe. No, there, some people do believe the rapture's already happened. They're called preterists. They think that everything, first of all, they don't believe in a rapture. They think the second coming is the only thing that the Bible teaches. It's one, one return. And they think that return happened in 70 A.D. And they do that by completely twisting the scriptures. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that to personally attack them. I'm saying that because that's a fact. They're literally taking the scripture and making it out to say something it isn't. So they go to Jesus' teaching in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. And they're saying uh, when the cosmic signs that Jesus talks about that will accompany his coming. Remember he said, lightning will stretch from the east to the west. It'll be obvious. No one will have to wonder, is this the Christ? Is this the Christ? If you have to ask the question, it's not. <laughs> It'll be obvious when he comes. And uh, so they say that when the Roman general Titus stormed into Jerusalem and burned the temple and burned the city, the smoke and flame is billowing above in the atmosphere. That, that's the, the lightning from the east to the west, and that's when Jesus must have come back. So I hope you're enjoying the kingdom, because uh, this is as good as it gets. Uh, to a preterist, this is it. You're in the kingdom. And so that's what they mean when they say it's, quote, already happened. Uh, it's similar uh, to a kingdom now perspective or dominion theology. Uh, theonomic ethics is another term for it where some people think that if we can just vote, elect enough Christians, then we'll impose God's moral law on the world. And, and when the world gets good enough, Christ will say, great, you finally accomplished it. Now I'll come back and take the throne. Like he's waiting for Christians to straighten up and turn this world into a kingdom of peace and righteousness, then he'll come back. But that's just the opposite of what God's Word says. God's Word says things are going to get worse and worse and worse, 2 Timothy 3.13, not better and better and better. Does not 
absolve us of our God-given mandate as believers in this world, as to, to shine like lights in this perverse generation, as Paul puts it. It doesn't absolve us of the Great Commission. It doesn't mean we should not strive uh, to uh, you know, make a difference in this world. But we need to understand God's plan. This world is not going to you know, overcome the curse of sin until the curse of sin is removed. And that won't happen until Christ comes back and ultimately makes all things new. So, yeah, I think it's just a, you know, a, a misunderstanding of Scripture. I mean, I, you know, I, I love those folks that are preterist or amillennialist. I, I'm not saying they don't love the Lord. I just think they have a really poor understanding of how to connect the dots in Scripture. Yeah, Kelton. How do they or other groups also on the back of that justify that position when Israel was dispersed in 70 AD and destroyed, but Scripture points that God is going to save, come back when Israel is And deliver them. Yeah, deliver Israel. How do, the question is how do they uh, explain their viewpoint in light of the fact that uh, in 70 AD Israel was dispersed and Scripture says Christ is going to regather Israel into the land, Matthew 24, 30. Well, they don't believe in a literal Israel. They think we're Israel. They're replacement theologians, right? So they, they, there is no future for Israel. When Israel rejected the Messiah, God was done with them. So to, to an amillennialist or a preterist, Israel is just like Costa Rica or Brazil or, you know, France, you know, or any other country. They're just a country, right? So not, there was nothing significant in their viewpoint to 1948 when Israel was reborn, uh, nothing significant about the Abrahamic covenant. And so all of those passages that speak of, of God regathering Israel into the land, they just brush them aside. Now, there are many of those, and we talked about this probably a year ago now, earlier on, first maybe quarter of our journey through this study, about uh, the importance of the land and, and the unconditional promises to Israel and how God is going to regather them in the land. We looked at tons of Old Testament passages that talk about that. Um, you know, and I, and I mentioned Jesus tells us what it's going to look like when he does come back, and that's in Matthew 24, verse 30. But there are many Old Testament passages, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 3, Isaiah 27, 13. But he says in Matthew 24, 30, um, actually 31, he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and will gather together his elect from the four winds of heaven to the other. That's Israel. So they, they don't have to explain it because they just, everything is spiritualized to them. There's no correspondence reality between the words on the page and, and what it means. They make it mean whatever they want it to mean. That's why smoke and, and, and stuff can mean lightning from the east to the west, right? But that's not lightning from the east to the west. So any other uh, questions? Yeah. Back to point A. Yeah. Well, yeah, you can. You you lose rewards by doing, by sinning and doing things with an improper motive, and you know. So, you know, it's not like you've already got rewards and those will be lost. What he's saying is, behave in such a way that you don't lose out on rewards. You want to receive the fullest reward you can get. You want to receive as many rewards as you can get. Yeah. Last night, I had a nine-year-old grandson and a four-year-old grandson at the table, and 
uh, they're both my grandsons, they have my name, and they both still have a room in my house anytime, and a bed to sleep in. But uh, when the nine-year-old didn't want to finish his macaroni and cheese, nor his half a hamburger, he was told that he wasn't going to get pump from pie that he really wanted for dessert. The four-year-old wasn't going to get yep. cookies and cream, ice cream that he really wanted. So they both finished their I supper. bet they did. <laughs> and he got his pumpkin pie. And, and, but it doesn't have anything to do with you loving one more than the other? or no. Yeah, no. So, yeah, great analogy. You know, you got two sons sitting at the table and a uh, nine-year-old and a six-year-old, four-year-old, four excuse me, four-year-old, and they didn't want to finish their dinner. So, well, you're not going to get dessert. Well, guess what? They finished their dinner. So rewards are a, mo a motivating factor. And, and also the fact that some people receive more rewards than others is, no, is, is not a, a, uh, a slant on the one who receives less rewards or shunning the one who receives less rewards, right? If, if I have my uh, sons go do yard work, and they come back in, and I say to one, man, and I, and I agree, let's say, to pay them $10 an hour. So when I'm paying them, I go to one of them, boy, you did a fantastic job. I watched how, work, how hard you were working, and I'm going to give you what I said I was going to give you, but I'm also going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you $20 for just working so hard. And the other one comes in, and, and maybe I was watching him, and he took a lot of breaks and didn't really seem to be motivated and do as much. But, he, you know, he got, got the job done. I'll pay him, but I might not give him as much of a bonus, right? Do I, does that mean that somehow he's being cheated? Of course not. Of course not. Yeah, I saw a hand over here. Over here, and then we'll go to you, Judy. Go ahead. Yep. So, I mean, if you didn't, you, the judgment seat is for rewards done in this present church age for a life of service. So if you didn't have the opportunity to live a life of service, then I don't know how you would be rewarded. Uh, they will still be in heaven, of course, uh, and I've talked about that elsewhere, but the one and only condition for receiving eternal life is faith alone in Christ alone. And if someone is incapable mentally of making that choice to trust Christ, I believe they're covered by God's grace. Um, now that's different. I always have to add this because I get emails and people misunderstand me. That's different from those who've never heard. People who've never heard the gospel have the capacity to believe. And the Bible tells us in Romans 1, if they'll respond to God's general revelation, he'll make sure and send them special revelation about the gospel. Uh, but for those who are like uh, mentally handicapped or uh, challenged or uh, you know young babies or babies in the womb, I believe they're covered. Now Calvinists would say they're not. If they're elect, they go to heaven, and if an aborted baby is not elect, it goes to hell. So that's why they you know can never give assurance to a mom whose baby died that uh, they're going to see their baby again. And I've talked to I've dozens upon dozens through 30 years of Calvinist pastors who would completely agree with what I just said. So I mean that they can't give assurance to someone. But I believe we can, based on God's justice, based on God's character, based on what God, uh, you know, he, he would not, 
he would not call us to do something, require us to do something that we're incapable of doing. So, but if you're if you understand the gospel, if you can read and understand and know the gospel, you can believe it, and you need to believe it if you want to be saved. Um, so yeah, and and um, what else, is that? That does that answer your question? Right. Yeah. So they're in heaven, and and who knows? You know, um, it's also interesting, and, and this is just me speculating, not necessarily citing chapter and verse. But given that faith is the one and only requirement to be saved, going all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. Remember, even Abraham believed and was justified, declared righteous. Faith is the is the key. Faith is the victory. Remember that old hymn. Um, so, you know, we know that babies, even though they're in the womb still, can express emotion. Remember, uh, John the Baptist leapt for joy in the womb. So who's to say that in some way these babies aren't expressing faith? I don't know. I, I don't know. But God God knows and God sorts it all out. We, we tend to think, try to solve some of these theological the quagmires through human reasoning and thinking and fortunately God is, is bigger than all that so yeah Judy so um, back to your mowing the lawn or getting dessert um, uh, examples both of you took the position of the father who could reward what about the person who begrudgingly does this so they can get the reward like there many times they're like oh, I just don't want to do this yeah Great question. <laughs> Great question. And I thought the same thing as I was listening to that story. You know, all analogies are limited. Um, but let's not forget, the basis for reward isn't actually just performing the action. It's the motive for performing the action. That's what we read in 1 Corinthians uh, 4. We read this last week. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring both to light the hidden things and the darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So, all, we don't have the ability necessarily to see inside the heart of our children or grandchildren, right? So, someday in heaven, if he just ate the macaroni begrudgingly because he wanted the pie, he's probably not going to get a reward but if he ate the macaroni because it was the right thing to do and grandpa said you need to do this and he had a good attitude he said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna obey then yeah he might he might get the reward you know but on earth we just we tend to be transactional and retributive you know if you do this you'll do this you know I'm gonna count to three you know you better clean up that mess you know and that's just the way we think but it really comes down to the counsel of the heart so very good question it's not just doing what you know good things it's doing them with the right motive and that's why i've said i think we're all going to be uh surprised if you will at who is rewarded and who isn't you know a lot of these big name people who you know uh, we look up to as you know giants of the faith write books have tv shows and all that we don't know their hearts i hope they're pure i hope they're doing it with the right motive but I can tell you, having been in a lot of green rooms, 
I think otherwise for a lot of them. I think it's just it's just a job, you know. And so the but then the people that we never even noticed on earth, you know, the you know widows or single moms who just have a stalwart faith and are praying all the time for the Lord and seeking the Lord of how to raise their child or you know the widow praying for their pastor. I think those are the ones that are going to really be rewarded. So it's about the motive. Did I see another hand? Yeah. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so great question. Um, a little off point, but I, we're, we're open to any questions, and I really want to answer that because it's a great question. About Genesis chapter 12, where God in the Abrahamic covenant promises to bless those who bless Israel. I don't take that as a carte blanche that Israel can do no wrong, and we must never do anything you know, negative when it comes to dealing with God's chosen nation, Israel. Uh, clearly, God didn't take it that way because there are plenty of times he brought judgment upon Israel through Assyria or Babylon or whoever it might be. Uh, so I think the context there is to the extent that God's people Israel are fulfilling their designed role on planet earth and doing what God wants them to do and serving Yahweh, then those who come under that umbrella are going to be blessed. If you, if you attack God's people who are doing God's things, God's going to he's going to come after you. But uh, today we need to remember, and this is where people take this verse way too far and way out of context, we need to remember Israel is not there in belief today. They're not in the land in belief. And not to say that there's not Jewish believers there, there are, but politically, nationally, governmentally, they're not there in belief. Um, and so if Israel, which they do, by the way, again, you, you know, most people in our conservative dispensational uh, camp you know, you, you, you get run off the stage for even remotely criticizing Israel because we just have this blind view of Israel the way we have a blind view of America, too, by the way. And so, but I'm telling you, you know, Israel makes mistakes. You know, they've fired missiles at innocent wedding parties, and they've killed innocent Arabs, too. Not nearly as much as the Arabs have killed Jews. It's, it's completely lopsided, but let's just understand that Israel's not perfect. And if a, a rogue leader of Israel got in there and uh, you know fired a Scud missile at the U.S., I would re and I was a president, I would retaliate. I don't believe Genesis 12 says I can't do anything to Israel. It's when Israel is God, you know, is fulfilling their covenant promises. Remember, they don't get the land. Even though it's an unconditional promise, the timing of it is conditional. They don't get the promises until they first believe. That's what Romans chapter uh, 10 is all about. Uh, how can they call on him to deliver them into the kingdom until they first believed? So individual faith comes before national deliverance. That's what Romans 9 and 10 are all about, and 11. So uh, a good question. I, I, again, I think it's, uh, my answer is somewhat nuanced. We need to understand that God has a future for national Israel. We need to understand that Israel is God's chosen nation, the apple of his eye. We should pray for Israel. We should support Israel as much as we can. They're an ally of ours. But... It's not that they can do no wrong, and they need to be held accountable if they do something wrong, just the way anybody else would be. Yeah. So, 
Well, I don't, I, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't quite say it that way, Mike. I don't think the blessing in Genesis 12 is for today. I think ultimately the fulfillment of it will be in the kingdom. When Christ is sitting on the throne, all the nations of the earth will come up to Israel and you know, through Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed in a time of unprecedented peace and righteousness in the kingdom. It's like Jesus said, I think it was to the woman at the well, uh, salvation is of the Jews. Or maybe it's a Samaritan woman. I can't remember. Anyway, the one who said, uh, you know, which worship is right. And he said, you know, salvation is of the Jews. What that means is that ultimately, you know, the Jewish nation brought the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the son of David. And ultimately, it will be Israel that's regathered in the land and be the capital. Jerusalem will be the capital city of the world, and all the nations of the world will be blessed at that time. So I don't. I think there's a correlation to today. There's an implication for today. Again, understanding God has a covenant with His people, Israel, and therefore we should pay particular attention to Israel, and we should not uh, capriciously come against Israel for no reason. Uh, we should be their ally and support them. But we need to understand God's prophetic plan. And Israel, you know, did not return to the land in 1948 in belief at all. Any other questions or or comments? Okay, well, that's a good stopping point. So uh, we've got a few more that we want to look at uh, next time on, uh, you know, what this concept of rewards, how it should affect our day-to-day living and then we want to close out uh, possibly next week depends on how it goes with why isn't this doctrine taught more frequently and what are some objections to it so we didn't get to your uh, your question but we will I promise all right well let's uh, take a break and we'll come back together again for our worship service at 10 o'clock those of you live streaming it uh, the live stream usually kicks up again sometime between 10:25 and 10:35 mountain time God bless